that we're in a series called Culture of Honor. Today I'm going to talk about how people create an atmosphere of honor. Honorable people create an atmosphere of honor. And if you're an honorable person, then wherever you go, there's always going to be honor there to some degree. Because that's who you are, because that's who our God is. And so as we jump in this morning, uh, just a, a couple of things, a couple of prefaces. I was driving here this morning, I got to thinking, you know, we live in a culture in a time where so many believe that they can connect with God through intellectual assent. That's really the culture we live in today. Everyone's trying to become smarter, everyone's trying to read more uh, dead theologians than ever. And nothing against that. I think we learn from, from those who have gone before by all means. But listen, if you're looking to encounter the most heavenly God, the way to do that is not through intellectual ascent. The way to do that is to listen to His Word. You know, as I read His Word today, it's, it speaks to me louder than ever. And this is what I hear. These are my ways and this is how I need you to reproduce me to a world that doesn't know me. That's what I hear. It's no longer trying to, to have apologetics for the Word of God. I, I got a phone call here a while back from a young man who wanted to debate with me some apologetics. Apologetics simply means making a defense of. Apologetics is huge today. Everybody wants to be in apologetics. Anyone who's in theology of any kind wants to debate apologetics. And my problem with that is people believe that they are going to encounter God if they know more than you do about Him. That's not true. You encounter God by recreating who He is in your life. That's how you encounter God, by doing the things, the principles, upholding His principles for life. That's how you encounter God. And that's when you put those things, application makes all the difference in our life. And when you put those things into practice, here's what happens. Non-believers begin to go, wow, there's a community over there that loves like no other, that embraces like no other. Every tongue, tribe, and nation is welcome there. There is a culture that has been created that I, I don't understand it, I don't get it, but I would like to. And it's not through intellectual ascent, it's actually by engaging and re-engaging and inviting people to your table. Now, we hear this said all the time, Jesus ate with sinners. Well, He didn't sin with sinners. He ate with them. Meaning that He had a place prepared for each and every one that they could come and experience the heavens coming to earth. The people who were of intellectual ascent were the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the religious scribes, these who had all kinds of education, and yet when, when Jesus himself stood in front of them, they didn't even recognize. Now don't get me wrong, learn. I, I love learning, and I think we all should learn. I think we all should grow in, in our education towards God and, and, and to read His Word by all means. But what I'm saying today is, look, to have a culture, to create a culture is going to more influence those outside than your intellectual ability to debate. I don't know how many debates that I felt like I've won and they still haven't come over to my side yet. I feel like I've debated them very well, but, but they're still in opposition to the way that I believe or think, right? So, here we go. Today, as we jump in, the greatest defense of our faith is our faith in action. The greatest defense of our faith is simply putting our faith in what Jesus has done, putting it into action. 
it goes this way, that, that putting our faith in action means that more than what I know is more who I know. And as I follow Jesus, because this is what Jesus said, he said, come and follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men, I'll show you how to become a person of influence, a person who is an atmospheric changer. Anywhere they go, the atmosphere tends to change. We talked about Sarah this week, of course, and and Sarah's life was a life, she really was an atmosphere changer. You know, she, she brought a light into this place. You knew that, that instead of being a thermometer, she was a thermostat. She was going to set the temperature. And that's how God uses his people when he's at work in their lives and, and they're willing to follow him and listen to him. It changes. We become people who change the atmosphere. Watch this. And by changing the atmosphere, we become people who change the very culture that we walk in. I changed the whole scripture this morning just on the drive here. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to open them to Matthew chapter 9. Praise God for Eloise. I got here and I said, Eloise, I changed things this morning. Just stay with me on this one. All right, let's just run with it. So she did and she got it up for you if you don't have your Bibles, but I'd encourage you to bring your Bibles. Let me say this real quick about Bibles, okay? Because... There are so many theologians and have been for 2,000 years. Sometimes what we need to get back to is just the Scripture itself. What is the Bible saying to you? What are you learning from Scripture itself? What is God trying to impress upon you that would make a difference with your sphere of influence and eventually with those that, that entire culture that's around you? We learn that by just getting back to the raw Things. And I think we get back to the rawness of God by opening His Word. And this morning I changed things to this Matthew chapter 9 verse 18. While he was saying this, a ruler came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Now I want you to see a couple of things. This is a ruler. This is a person who rules. Now Jesus, at this particular time in His ministry, has no earthly authority. Now, in saying that, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to, to say he couldn't call down legions of angels because he could. But, but at this particular time, Jesus has really no earthly authority other than he has authority, of course, against demons. And he's, he is raising people from the dead and he's healing the sick. Yes, he's, he's got that. But, but just, just stay with me as far as earthly authority. He's not on his white horse. He doesn't have that huge sword drawn. He's not leading a band of angels or an army band, if you will. No, Jesus is simply walking the earth. He's, he's demonstrating God's power. And here is a ruler, one who a ruler is defined as someone who has a kingdom. So here's one who rules some sort of kingdom. He's in charge. And notice what it says about this ruler. He knelt before him. You see, in his earthly walk, he was very limited in what he could do spiritually. The girl's died. Here's a ruler. I can't do anything about this. But there's one who walks that can. And notice what he does. He honors him by what? Kneeling before him. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Now, this is important for us to see. So Jesus gets up and goes with him. And, and who goes with him? His disciples. Disciples, disciples of Jesus, this is what we do. We follow Jesus. What are his ways? 
What's his tendency? What's he going to do? And he's on the move. So then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him, touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, my daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. Now, a couple of things about this woman. She appears on the scene. Now, this is a woman who should have been in hiding. This is a woman who should not have been around crowds. If you know the Old Testament at all, a woman with an issue of blood meant that she was unclean. So this would have been seen as a woman who was unclean. She was not worthy. She should not have been in the presence of, of a ruler, much less in the presence of the Lord and so this woman should have been discarded if you will but instead she finds herself in the path of Jesus she pushes through her disciples or his disciples reaches out touches the hem of his garment and he said this who touched me you know other accounts in the gospels you you know that Peter said my goodness there's people all over Pressing in on you, Jesus. Uh, it could have been anyone. No, no. Someone touched me and the power left me. Someone had faith to be healed. Something is different. Someone brought a culture of change. A culture of humility. A culture of honor. A culture of purpose. A culture of need. And bowed down, reached out, and touched me. Now, who touched me? There's this woman with an issue of blood. Now, this story gets right to it. She said to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her, and this is what he said. He said, take heart, my daughter. Now, right there, he gave her a new identity. You are no longer an outcast. You are no longer someone who can't be a part of my kingdom culture. You are no longer seen as unclean. But I have called you, I have named you my daughter. And you are welcome in my presence. Culture and atmosphere of honor. See, Jesus just had this presence about him. He just created this culture around him. People wanted to be in the room with him. They wanted to be in his presence. The woman was healed from that moment on. She was healed from an identity that had labeled her all of her life, or at least the last 12 years she had this identity. But now Jesus says, no, you're my daughter, because he honored her. He healed her. Honorable people create an atmosphere of honor. Psychologists call this presence. You know, certain people tend to bring who they are into the room they're just emotionally strong people they have a strong presence you know they are the thermostats not the thermometer a thermometer reacts simply reacts to a temperature change but a thermostat changes the temperature of the room now for those of you who see the thermostat on the back wall years ago brett and i talked about taking that down this was before any of this was opened up we had a lot of heating and air conditioning problems in this room throughout the building but uh, we determined that we were going to leave that up there and and it's been really neat because probably some of you have already touched it this morning you know you're going hey uh, you know it's a little warm in here it's a little cold in here there's a thermostat 
There's nobody watching. And, and really, for the first couple of years, no joke, there, were, there was like a line. People just always doing this. And I thought it was funny because they, they weren't affecting anything. But in their mind, they thought they were. But here's who we are supposed to be. As people of the kingdom of God, we are called to be culture changers. And in order to do that, that means that we can't just be a thermometer taking life on as it happens. It means that we are called to be proactive, to know that when we stand up and we step in, that a change is going to take place because the God in me is going to make himself known in this place today, in my job today, at my work today, at my school today. People are going to know that God is here because I am here. No, I am not God, but greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. A change is coming. Honorable people create an atmosphere of honor. You see, I love this story because Jesus, he's honoring this ruler by going with him. And yet at the same time, this girl with an issue for 12 years, who's an outcast, who's not even supposed to be allowed in the presence of God, reaches out and touches his hem, and he turns around, the hem of his garment, he turns around and he says, my daughter. You see, he's an atmospheric God. He changes the atmosphere. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 25, I'm shift gears just a little bit, and we're going to look at this very quickly this morning. Matthew chapter 20, verse 25. And basically what Jesus is doing is he's explaining to the disciples here that there is, there are, there's a culture outside of my culture that believes in position. And believes that in order to be honored, you must have position. As a matter of fact, his disciples kind of argue this opinion. Many of us, if you've been in the business world at all, our goal is to, to go from lower management, work hard and be promoted to mid-management, and eventually move from mid-management all the way up to possibly being the CEO of a company. And we, we work hard for this, we, we, we put our lives into it, we honor and we dishonor, it doesn't matter because whether we step on someone or we step on ourselves, we just simply want to make it to the top. And I've said this many times, I've, I've seen several businessmen who have made it to the top of their business, CEOs of business, and they've, they've learned this, that their ladder was leaning against the wrong wall. That when they got there, they still had this emptiness. What is wrong? And Jesus is always trying to explain to us what life and the abundant life looks like. And so, so here he is explaining to his disciples, but I want you to know it's, it's similar to, to Mark chapter 11 where Jesus is talking to his disciples and a couple of them, the sons of thunder, the sons of Zebedee, come to him and say, Hey! Will you do this one thing for us when you make it to your kingdom, when your kingdom is truly reigning? This is what I want to do. Would you allow that one of us sit on your right and the other one sit on your left? And Jesus asked them this question, well, would you be able to drink the cup at which I'm about to drink? It's going to cost you something. It doesn't look, my kingdom doesn't look quite like you think it does. My kingdom is a place of love. It's a place of honor. It's a place where honorable people come. It's a place of service. This is God's 
culture. And in Matthew chapter 20, he's unpacking this again. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who, who are great exercise authority over them, yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be the first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, their mindsets were so consumed with position and titles. Church, let's just be honest. When you get outside of this this room here, when you get outside of this auditorium, this sanctuary, whatever you want to hear, it was a sanctuary during worship, I'm going to tell you right now. I make you want to build an altar unto the Lord here. But when you get outside of these walls, what are you after? What dream are you chasing? What's your occupation? What do you want to be? What do you want to become in life? Look, possibly God gave you that dream, and that's true. But as you have that dream, and as that dream is watered, God has a way that he wants you to portray who he is in your life, and it's by being and becoming an honorable person. I know many doctors out there that at the time they they went in to get or go to medical school and everything else, they originally were like, well, I can provide a good life for myself, and, you know, I can drive a car and, a nice car and dentist too you know Allison said you know our kids need braces what are we going to do and I said I'm not buying I'm not paying for somebody's Mercedes I'm gonna tell you right now you know we throw this stuff out there and then at the same time I've known many that have gone through med school that are simply servants today man I I know know a couple in this church that are just incredible servants you know they're in it for the right reasons You see, outside of these walls, what are we chasing? What are we after? Are we trying to get promoted? Are we willing to dishonor someone in order that we might get a position to be honored, to be cherished? Spiritual authority. You know, even in the church, I see that spiritual authority is a real thing. God establishes spiritual authority, but it doesn't look like the world. We're not trying to obtain anything other than a closer relationship with Jesus. And as we do that, of course, there's the church. And of course, there, throughout Scripture, there are preachers, teachers, pastors, elders, and, 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 and all these different ones. But the, the truth is, the greatest among you, this is what he's trying to tell his disciples, the greatest among you is going to be humble. They're going to be honorable. They're going to be servants. This is what we do. This is what promotes God's kingdom. It looks different than it does out there, than chasing the world in all of its supposedly dreams. It looks very different. Bill Johnson said it this way. He said, lead like a servant and serve like a king. That regardless of what we do and why we do it, regardless of the jobs that we have throughout life, my son is wanting a job. He, he had one last night at the Civic Center, but uh, he's wanting to work at McDonald's. You know, McDonald's, I mean, he's, he's been like, you know, McDonald's, because all my friends work at McDonald's. We're like, no, you're going to work to work, not to hang out. You, you really got to work, right? But it's a start. If it's McDonald's, if it's Sonic, if it's Subway, it's a start. What ultimately are you after? What do you want to do? What do you want to become? I want my children to have that dream, and yet I want them to obtain that, obtain that dream the way God intends for them to obtain it to serve and to serve honorably, 
to know that you can be trusted, to know that a boss at McDonald's might want to promote you one day, might call Subway (laughs) and say, I got a good one here. You see, God's ways, when when they're put in place, they're attractional. How many of you have been around families that are big families? I've, I've got some cousins that uh, they just couldn't stop having children. I get it. And they just have, they have five kids, right? And, and we always like to get around them and get our kids around them because they all have such hearts of, of servants. And they create a culture of honor. And when you go there, you're honored. What can we do for you? What can we get you? Uh, how can we uh, make your life better while you're here? Man, if we can just raise our children, raise our families. Being at the Tuckers this week and watching them serve, it's what what we want to be around. And guess what? It attracts those who are not yet a part of God's table. Oh, we can debate with them all day long, but you show them the love of Jesus. You show them that we hold everyone in a valuable way. It makes all the difference. So how do we un pack this will in Luke chapter 7 it's another story here after he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people he entered Capernaum now centurion had a, a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death who was highly valued by him now let's stop right here this is a centurion that's not a word that we use today it's a Roman soldier Now, this Roman soldier has a servant who is highly valued by him. Now, many people who have servants just simply say this, I can replace this servant with someone else. If they live, die, quit tomorrow, fine, go your own way. I'll find somebody else and put them right in there and show them what they need to do and how they can better serve me. In some ways, that's the culture out here. But... For Jesus, it was very different. And watch, for this centurion, for this soldier, he doesn't see himself as that man. He's an honorable man. And he loves this servant who is sick to the very point of death. In that day, just remember that he didn't have to, to value anyone. He could treat people any way that he wanted to. And in verse 3, things change. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him the elders of the Jews. Now let me stop right here. He sent to him who? The elders of the Jews. Now this is a Roman who is in charge in governing. He's over the Jews. When Jesus says, if someone asks for you to go one mile, go with him too. If someone asks for your shirt, give him your cloak as well. Jesus is actually talking about the Roman soldiers then. Because that's what they would do. Oftentimes they would show up and they would simply say, hey, you're a Jew, I need you to carry this and we're going to go one mile. That's where, have you ever heard the term a Roman mile? Okay, that's where some of this, okay, you haven't. All right. Maybe I just made it up. I don't know, but I I, want to honor you with some great information right now. So when Jesus says those things, basically he's saying, look, if you'll serve these Romans, I know it's not comfortable. I know it's not the thing to do. I know it takes a different heart. But if you'll do this and show them our culture one day, they'll see that my love is for them as well. For God so loved the world that he gave. 
And it's not going to happen the way you think. It's, it's not going to be through arrows and bloodshed and, and, and swords. But it's going to be through my love. They're going to see something. And this centurion has already seen it. And he calls that he sent to him the elders of the Jews. He says, go and get the leaders of, of your people. Asking him to come and heal his servant. If the Roman were saying it, he would say, asking him to come and heal my servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation. Notice something. This Roman centurion loves them. He's honored them. And he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but just say the word and let my servant be healed. So here's this, this Roman with all this position and all of this authority, and he's calling Jesus who? Lord, I honor you. The very things that I can't do, you can do. And I've seen you do it. And I'm for your nation. I've seen, watch, your culture at work. And I know that you hold the power to heal this servant of mine. Verses 8, or verse 8 through 10. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Now that's a huge statement. One, that Jesus would say he's a man of great faith. The only time great faith is used in Scripture is right here. And it's, to a, it's about a Roman. It's not even about the people of Israel. In Hebrews chapter 11 you find out that Israel, I mean, has a heritage. It has a history of people of great faith. And yet, at the same time, Jesus said, Hey, in all of Israel, all the knowledge, all the stories, I've not had anyone come with such great faith. Here's why. Because this man wasn't in life for the position that he held. He, understand that he understood that he was a man both in authority and under authority. He was a man who was honorable whether he was under authority or in authority. He was honorable in every way. And Jesus saw that as a man of great faith. He's not found it. He's not found it even in Israel, even in the synagogues where apologetics are happening day in and day out. And those who were sent Returning to the house, found the servant well who had been sick. Jesus once again said, let it be done for you. Your faith has made you well. You see, because the centurion walked in honor, understood authority, it granted him access to the riches in heaven. When we understand the culture that God wants to create through us, it grants the riches of heaven upon us. People begin to marvel at the body of Christ. It creates an atmosphere of honor, 360 degrees of honor 
You know, honor in us should travel upward. It should travel downward. It should travel outward because we're a people of honor because God first honored us. While we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. That proves his love for us is what the scripture says. We read in Revelation just a few weeks ago where there's 12 thrones that are set up in heavens and the elders are on those thrones and they're constantly casting their crowns. And I asked this question, did the elders build their own thrones up there? Absolutely not. God did. He was honoring them. The 24 elders, I'm sorry, I think I said 12. 24 elders, which is representative of the 24 Levitical priests in the Old Testament that would stand on behalf of the rest of the priesthood. And by the way, well, we don't need to chase all this. I can do real quick. An atmosphere of honor. Honor. When we learn to hold everyone in a valuable way, God's kingdom is expressed through us. When we learn to hold everyone in a valuable way, God's kingdom is expressed through us. And watch, it preaches louder than any words. People experience it. People feel it. People are drawn to it. You know, find somebody that you know the Lord is working through. I, I tell people this all the time. You don't have to have people assign you books. Get in the back pocket of someone you know the Spirit of God is leading and watch what they do and how they do it. The Apostle Paul said it this way, follow me as I follow Christ. You're going to learn something. You're going to see how when I walk in discipleship for Jesus Christ and you line up there and pay attention, you're going to learn some things. You're going to learn what it means to honor others above yourself, to serve and not be served, to give and what that looks like, to create a culture, to be a thermostat and not a thermometer. So if you're a boss today, let me ask you this question. What kind of culture do you create? If you're a hired hand today, if you're a slave, if you're mid-management, what's the environment that you create in your world? What are you bringing to the room? How do you correct your employees? I mean, I'm, I've got correction. I've been corrected. What's that look like in your world, right? We do it with honor. We correct our children, but we don't dishonor them. We correct them. I don't have to devalue them in order to correct them. Parents, do you speak to your kids with honor? Teenagers, do you speak to your parents? Do I need to skip that one? Look, Rick, God Rick Godwin, he once said, he said, you know, to evaluate a leader, pay attention to how children respond to them. Find out if they're carrying a loving or an arrogant spirit. You don't need a position to carry honor, church. Jesus said the greatest among you will be the servant of all. So get a vision to become a carrier of honor. Serve people like crazy. Serve from your strength. Then we will all have and create a culture of honor. And that culture of honor will be seen by those on the outside. And they're going to say, there's something going on over there. And I want in it. Just as the Roman soldier had all kinds of peers, all kinds of soldiers, all kinds of bands and armies. And yet, when he saw this culture over here, he couldn't help but know that's the culture that he wanted to be a part of. 
Jesus is calling us for that kind of witness church. What does that look like in your life? And if you need prayer for anything this morning, know that we're here for you. That that prayer is a form of honor that God has given us. He's, He's given us the ability to pray for one another. Where two or three are gathered, it creates this culture of honor. It means that we're going to honor you. We're going to pray for you. We're going to pray over your situation, your circumstances. Because that's who we are. The other night when I went up to the hospital, it, it was amazing when, when everything played out and it, it was over and people were starting to leave and I was coming down the hallway and walked out of the doors of the SICU and I looked, both walls were solid people. And I went, wow, Lyle actually counted them. 60-something people at whatever time it was in the morning, Sunday morning. They were there because there's a culture of honor. And they were honoring. You were there because you are the church. And it's who we are. And we're going to establish God's kingdom here on this earth because that is what we're commanded to do, church. This is who we are. Thank you for that. Let's continue to be a people who honor every tongue, tribe, and nation. Father God, thank you for this church. Thank you for Harvest Christian Fellowship, Amarillo, Texas. Father, I want to thank you for Sarah's life this morning. Because she was a game changer. She was an atmospheric changer. Because she knew you, it made a difference. And Father, we we could see her leading hundreds possibly thousands in worship here one day but she leads millions today Lord we can't even fathom what she sees versus what we do today and I thank you for the church that raised her to know you to show her what honor is and that she carried it forward doesn't matter how young or how old what matters so is our faith you and you alone. Lord, may we always walk with you creating a culture of honor for others in Jesus' name.